cracking one open with Mike and Elise. Well, we got a special episode for you guys today. Today we are talking about, and you might be surprised to hear this. Bring it on. Brews, reviews, what? and pop culture news. Say what? Uh, I know, it's shocking. Uh, it's a new format. We've never done this before. <laughs> what is exciting, though, is that we are cracking open a beer that neither of us have ever had. That's right. This is a first taste, guys. This is a first taste on the podcast. It's a podcast first taste. Something special. We need like a little jingle there. Podcast first taste. <laughs> you get working on that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so today we are cracking open Cereal Spiller Double IPA Dipper, folks. <laughs> a collaborative beer between Tribus Beer Company in Milford, Connecticut and Counterweight Brewing Company in Hamden, Connecticut. Uh, Elise, baby, what, why don't you tell them a little bit about this beer? All right. Uh, so this is a fruited double IPA. It comes in at 8.5% ABV. And uh, is a 65 on the IBU scale, which is kind of on the lower end for the dub- for double IPAs. Uh, the normal range for them is between 60 and 120. So my guess would be that the sweetness of the cereal um, affects how bitter this double IPA can actually really be. Because hmm. I remember from when we made our beer, um, the amount of sugar that's in your recipe during fermentation, like even just a little bit can make a huge difference in not just the way that it tastes, but the, the carbonation, too. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah we found that, that out mistake. the hard way. Um, so unfortunately for our listeners, this brew was part of a very limited run. Um, it was only available at the brewery, and I'm pretty sure it sold out while we were there. <laughs> we were in line to get a draft of it and... The they person in front of us was got the last one and they changed the sign in front of our faces. Womp, womp. And our only choice was to buy a uh, a combo pack with cereal spiller in it so that we could try it. Which brings me to my next point. Uh, the good news is, listeners, that Tribus is constantly pumping out new and interesting beers like the can release that they just did this past Friday, uh, just in time for Easter, which is today while we're recording this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can release included a chocolatey imperial stout called Hollow Bunny, uh, a berry slash jammy sour called Seedless, a soft, quote unquote, soft, juicy IPA called Pillows. And another uh, double IPA called Insubordinate that has an angry cartoon cat that just knocked something over on a table. I saw that, yeah. (laughs) Which is totally accurate. (laughs) So um, let's say we crack it open. It is a very bright orange. Oh, I can smell the cereal as I'm pouring it into this glass. Well, I believe Tribus, who posts quite a bit on their Instagram, including how they make the beer, and they have some really funny videos. Shout out to Tribus's funny videos. I enjoy <laughs> them. Keep doing them. Um, they showed, I think, because there are a couple of cereal beers, beers out there now. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they showed um, when they first started. I think they showed them putting the cereal into um, some sort of hopper system to do it. Okay. okay. And the beer, I think, was already you know going through the process by the time they've already put the cereal in there. I'll so touch on that crazy later. Crazy hazy. Yeah, teach me. <laughs> Kimosabi. <laughs> you do see the sediment on the bottom. I think it's probably parts of the cereal. Oh, okay. Let's uh, let's do this first taste, huh? It's a pretty solid double IPA. I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm letting it. I'm I like it. that it's a little, the cereal is a little understated. 
Like you definitely get the the fruity undertones. That's good because I don't like crazy it, like sweet. Crazy, yeah, crazy sweetness. I'm not into. Yeah, it was good. This is up there. I'm sad that we only got two cans of it. Maybe they'll, we'll never get it again. Maybe they'll do it again. P- please, pa 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 please. But oh, this is good. So Tribus, I've noticed, is also at least to me when I think Tribus, I think of strong beers. Yes. So I'm not surprised this was this high, but I was not expecting you to say 8.5. I mean, I don't think I read how strong this beer was. Yeah. Fun fact, folks, uh, tonight I'm watching Game of Thrones and I bought the new Game of Thrones stout to watch the show with. Have fun with that. I'm not quite up to uh, speed with Game of Thrones yet. I'm a noob. Nah, I'm a, I'll I'm getting there, it. though. <laughs> it's very good. It's very hazy. Mm-hmm. It's like a hazy IPA, double IPA. It actually doesn't taste as strong as it is. You know, it doesn't taste 8.5. Oh, no. It Yeah, this you is know, there are a other beers. dangerous double IPA. Um, two that other way. double IPAs I like are Ghost Island, double IPA from Thimble Island Brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're another local brewery. They do Ghost Island. They do also do a um, Habanero Ghost Island yeah, IPA. They, that, I, I enjoy that Thimble Island does those little experimental casks. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, a lot of the breweries do now, but they they were the first ones that I remember doing it aside from like two roads. Yeah. This kind of reminds me a little bit of that. And also, you know, I also like there's also Road to Ruin by two roads, which mm-hmm. we'll get to, folks. Oh, yes. Um, I mean, Road to Ruin, you taste it. It, it tastes strong. Mm-hmm. This is this is kind of in the vein of Thimble Island's Ghost Island uh, in terms of double IPA. This double IPA is drinkable. Yes, um, highly drinkable. I kind of prefer in my double IPAs. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know I'm drinking something that's eight point five percent. I mean, I want to know because I want to not, you know, over imbibe. Yeah, but while I'm drinking, it, I don't want to just be like, "Has a taste strong, strong." Yeah, that's not that's not how you should. I I would expect that from like a, a, beer. a triple. Oh, absolutely! If you're gonna get a, uh, I guess a tippa. Yeah. <laughs> then yeah. You should expect it. That's that's probably how it should taste. But your whiskey should taste strong. Your mead should taste strong. <laughs> your yeah, a certain cocktail or martini should taste strong. But your beer, I don't think, no, should taste strong. It it, it should taste interesting or flavorful or bitter or sweet. Mm-hmm. It, your descriptor shouldn't be strong. Punch you in the face. Pungent. <laughs> <laughs> it should be something a little bit nicer than that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean. I don't know if they represent, like, their can, so I'll describe the can. After you do the smart mm-hmm. stuff, I'll be the dummy. So the can <laughs> uh, is actually pretty cool. It looks like it's been hand-drawn, uh, a la our logo, for cracking one open. Yeah. Made by you. It was. So it looks like somebody did that, which is kind of cool. So it's got a cartoony feel for it. Uh, you got, like, little, like, Fruit Loop-esque pieces of cereal going down with some milk no splashing copyright about it. intended. Exactly. Um, it's all different colors. The can is, I guess these are some tall boys. Which seems to be the trend. Yeah, the, the logo goes all across. It's mostly a logo. Uh, there's not too much description on the beer. I think the logo kind of speaks for itself. Cereal spiller and there's cereal and milk. But it does say that it's a fruited dipper, 8.5%. And it says fruity magical spoonfuls. Yeah, I I like uh, Travis's kind of style of labeling where it has three descriptors. Not necessarily flavor descriptors but (laughs) of of the beer itself of what they want to convey um, exactly so circling back around to what you were saying before about um their video of actually putting the cereal in the the beer as it's uh fermenting teach me beer yoda i found a 
some interesting tidbits about cereal beer in general. Mm -hmm. Um, There was this website where a group of brewers um, in the Midwest actually ran a contest to include Cinnamon Toast Crunch specifically in their beer. Mm. Um, (laughs) And apparently some people added it into the mash. Some people added it into the boil. And some people used it at the end of the fermentation process as kind of like a dry hop. And since making beer is such a precise science, it left me really curious as to how each one of those different processes would affect the taste in the end. I feel like I have a pretty good idea of they didn't really go into that detail, but it did. They listed the different beers that were made by the, the contest entrants and they were all very different styles of beer. So. I think that's really cool that it, it cereal beer can be whatever style. It's just a matter of what flavors you want to impart on it. So going a little bit deeper into cereal beers, this is definitely not the first one that we have had in general. One that we had recently from Duclaw Brewing called Unicorn Farts <laughs> um, was a sour ale brewed with fruity pebbles and edible glitter. Oh, they had fruity pebbles in it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then our listeners may, may recognize um, Saturday Morning Marshmallow IPA from Smart Mouth Brewing in Virginia, the one that went like super viral on Instagram and stuff and sold out crazy fast. That one was brewed with toasted marshmallows and bulk dehydrated marshmallow bits. Mm. But I, I actually found that cereal flavored beers go back to at least 2014. So it's it's trendy now, but it's definitely not new. Um, there's a, a brewery in Colorado called Black Bottle, and it's been making different iterations of a brew that they call Cerealously <laughs> <laughs> since 2014, when they originally did a Count Chocula infused milk stout, which sounds right up your alley. It does sound good, although I'm not a huge Count Chocula guy, but it does sound good. Mm-hmm. So in the process of making this milk stout, they managed to piss off every local kid when they bought out the entire town's supply of Count Chocula (laughs) from all the grocery stores. And they have since actually formed a relationship with General Mills just to avoid this. Nice. (laughs) Um, So they've used Lucky Charms, Golden Grams, Reese's Puffs, Sugar sugar Cookie Toast Crunch, which I didn't know existed, but I would... Uh, yeah, someone, someone from work told me about it the other day and oh. I, I, I want, I want that. Yep. And churro cinnamon toast crunch, I believe something Ooh. like that. And I was like, I need to get all of these <laughs> and uh, put them in my mouth. Nom nom. So this, this is the last thing I swear. Late last year, Kellogg's actually started working with uh, Seven Brothers, which is a brewery in Manchester, England, in a kind of a mutually beneficial project. They make something called Throwaway IPA, and they use the uh, cornflake cereal that did not make it through quality control. Either the flakes are too big, too small, or they're slightly overcooked, basically just anything that's not sellable. Mm-hmm. And they swap out about 30% of their normal mash for the cornflakes. And it helps Kellogg cut down on food waste by 12.5% already. And a portion of that money that the brewery makes off of the beer goes toward, um, they donate it to a food charity. Aww. So that's really cool. That is pretty cool. That is cool. So two things. Mm-hmm. One, we talked about the stouts before. A shout out since we're doing Tribus. Shout out to Capulus. I don't know if they can it, but Capulus is their stout, I believe. Oh, okay. When we had yep. at the brewery. That was fantastic. Tribus is listening. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Uh, secondly, well, we're on the topic of cereals. Top three cereals. Go. All right. Fruity Pebbles, Fruit Loops, and Cinnamon Toast Crunch. 
off the top of my head. The, I'm not surprised about the Fruity Pebbles. I'm not surprised about the Cinnamon Toast Crunch. The Fruit Loops thrown in the middle there. That that threw me for uh, a, loop. a loop. I didn't expect that. You've never brought that up. Interesting. Interesting. You learn new things every day. <laughs> you think you know a girl. <laughs> right? Frosted Flakes, Corn Pops, Fruity Pebbles. Yo. Cinnamon was, Toast was, Crunch is close. Those are my rotators. Okay. It's up there. Was never really into like Rice Krispies or Corn fl- The more boring cereals. <laughs> I ate them. I used to eat plain Cheerios all the time with the sliced up bananas. Ain't nothing wrong with Honey Nut Cheerios. Oh, honey Nut Cheerios are good too. Not tops, but I mean, they're, I mean, it, they're, it's they're a all solid good. choice. Cereals are good. Yeah. I'm currently uh, chowing down on Peeps. Peeps cereal, which smells like a bag of marshmallows. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I'm for Super Mario <laughs> Brothers cereal. You're welcome. <laughs> well, let me start with a couple of small things. Yeah, go for it. So last episode, I talked about Star Trek Discovery and the popularity of Anson Mount as Captain Pike. Mm -hmm. And just this week, the season of Star Trek Discovery has ended. And of course, co-showrunner Alex Kurtzman uh, was doing an interview with The Hollywood Reporter. And he did mention that he knows about the petition to get Anson Mount as a character on his own TV series about the Enterprise pre-Kirk. Okay. And I mean, it had 11,000 signatures within like 48 hours. And Anson Mount mentioned it on his Instagram or his Facebook or somewhere about how humbled he was about it and stuff like that, which I mean, who wouldn't be? Yeah. And Kurtzman said that, you know, he talked about the interest and he realizes and Paramount and CBS, they all realize that the fans have been heard. Anything is possible in the world of Trek. I would love to bring back that crew more than anything. It was a huge risk for us, meaning, you know, Kurtzman, not me. Personally. <laughs> uh, one of the most gratifying things is to see how deeply fans have embraced Pike, Spock, number one, and the Enterprise. The idea of getting to tell more stories with them would be a delight for all of us. So I think, you know, a CBS very much interested in getting all access out there and make mm-hmm. it worth it would be to put shows that fans want to see. And I think that could put them ahead of, you know, in the Star Trek Star Wars war that seems to always happen, mm-hmm. even though I have, you know, a mutual love for both. I may or may not get into why they're both completely different and why you can love both equally. But that's not that's not <laughs> well, for the hero now. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like if you're a girl from the the 90s, do you like Backstreet Boys or do you like NSYNC? Why can't you like both? Mm. I think it's a little different, but I get where you're going. I get where you're going with. um, That's how I relate to it. (laughs) The reason it might be good for the war between the both is I think fans are a little upset about the way that Disney is running Star Wars a little bit in terms of not really listening to the fans. And I think that with if Alex Kurtzman listens to fans, which I think he did in a big way for Star Trek 2009, Mm -hmm. which I think we both love. Oh, absolutely. That movie is fantastic. I've seen that movie so many times. (laughs) And just just listening to fans feedback and and all he was always in communication with them on Twitter and, you know, Facebook and talking to fans. And, you know, still being able to hear them out and understand what they want to see and putting that out there on CBS All Access. Mm -hmm. You know, right now there's not a lot for the non-CBS fan because CBS, I feel it might be the number one network on television, but it skews older. And you don't want that. You want that 25 to 35 age bracket. The people that are spending that money. Which is maybe what they're trying to draw in Uh, with Star Trek. That's what I'm thinking. Star Trek Discovery is much more action-y. It's it's got a little bit Mm -hmm. of the Star Trek feel, but, you know, listen to the fans. Yeah. And then more people will join in. I mean, it's only $6 and I'm lazy, so I've not canceled my subscription. But when I first signed up for Star Trek Discovery Season 1, as soon as it ended, I was going to stop my subscription and then resubscribe for Season 2, then cancel, which isn't a good model. You know, you want them to keep paying. Exactly. So by continuing content, and now they have Twilight Zone, which we'll talk about in a mm-hmm. little bit. They have Star Trek Discovery. They're going to do the Picard series at the end of the year. Um, there's going to be a comedy animated series for Star Trek. The more Star Trek content you put out... I think you'll get more fans as long as you don't wear them down, as long as they're all tonally different 
Mm-hmm. I think that'll work. And of course, after season three, there's going to be a section 31 show featuring Michelle Yeoh's character. And I know you haven't watched Dutch Discovery yet. Yeah, this, just that like first yeah, episode. This, uh, she's she's a character. I do have a lot of Game of Thrones, too. <laughs> That's true. She's a very interesting character and uh, she's going to get her own show. So there's going to be a, quite a bit of Star Trek shows, but I think a show featuring the Enterprise. Yeah. And younger Spock. And you have 10 years in, or at least I guess at this point in the show, you have nine years before Kirk takes control of the Enterprise. Mm hmm. That's a lot of space that hasn't really been talked about in in Star Trek lore. You can easily do, you know, three to five series television show about Captain Pike and Spock oh, yeah. and all that, which would help solidify later on. Spock actually hijacks the Enterprise to help out Captain Pike later on in his life. <laughs> and that would help solidify how such a logical uh, character who would never do something like that normally, why he feels so strong a bond with Captain Pike. Okay. Um, and I think that would help the show. But yeah, I thought that was cool. A little amendment to um, what I was talking about, how much I loved uh, Anson Mount as Captain Pike and the Enterprise bridge set and how awesome that is. I don't think I talked about last time, but the Enterprise set is amazing. And actually uses old buttons and and stuff from the actual old Star Trek set. They just copied and remade them and uses the old red-orange paint scheme. And nice. Just updates in a really cool way that pays homage to what came before. So that's me nerding out for Star Trek. We can move on. So uh, for any Lost Boys fans... Never grow old, Michael. And you'll never die. There's been news, obviously, for a little while that they're going to do a TV show. It's going to be on the CW, which I'm lukewarm about. <laughs> I honestly forgot. They announced this so long ago. I totally forgot about yeah, it. Yeah, it was a while ago. <laughs> um, So I guess a couple weeks ago, uh, we got a sneak preview of the supposed logo for the new show, which isn't terribly different than the, the one from the movie. I itself. wouldn't think you'd want to change. That logo it, is very, that font is very iconic. Iconic. Yeah, you yeah, think Lost that Boys movie. when you see it. Yeah. Uh, well, now we've got a filming sighting. They were apparently filming uh, the pilot on the Santa Cruz boardwalk a couple of days ago. And the Santa Cruz Police Department actually had to issue a public announcement because they got so many calls about a suspicious helicopter flying around the area. But yeah, I'm, I'm a little torn on how to feel about the reboot in general. The cast so far has Tyler Posey as Michael, Tyler Posey of Teen Wolf fame, which I've never watched, but yeah. Not really my thing. Sam, which is originally Corey Haim's character, will be played by Rio Mangini. Forgive me if I said his name wrong from Everything Sucks on Netflix. Okay, because I was going to say, I know that name. Yeah. Okay. Um, and to be honest, when I, I, I watched Everything Sucks on Netflix, it was great. Highly recommend it. Can't wait for season two. But I had to double check who he actually played on the show. He kind of flies a little under the radar, um, his character. I mean, compared to the rest of the the cast, but he was definitely he was good. He he had his moments. Um, so I'm I'm good with him as Sam. And it seems like they are replacing the Frog Brothers with the Frog Sisters, which is fine because you you really can't replace Corey Feldman. <laughs> So uh, I'm okay with that. The gen- gender swapping thing is bound to happen from it's, now on. It's just getting played out. Yeah. I mean, if they if they auditioned and they were great and they did that, but if they should have just been like the frog siblings, whoever played the, uh, the best against each other, uh, you should yeah. just cut this out because I know I'm just going to get flack for even mentioning this. But eh. if you're doing it just for the sake of gender swapping, then what's the point? You, it's a marketing like, ploy. Like you said, it's not for story. It's whoever is best for the role. Whether it's a guy or a girl, whatever they identify as, who cares? Just hire the right person for the role. That's that. But, you know, I was also never as big on Lost Boys as you. That's true. So I I love my Lost Boys. In terms of 80s vampires, I'm a near dark guy. Mm -hmm. So I like my vampires. I like my vampires dark. (laughs) 
Buffy being the exception, but even they can be a little dark sometimes. But yeah, they could be. Although I, I to be fair, I think Buffy's vampires and kind of the lore and the, the style of that show mm-hmm. owes a lot to Lost Boys. So without Lost oh, Boys, there would be take, no Buffy. T- yeah, so. take a look at. I understand Kiefer that. And I appreciate that. Absolutely, <laughs> he's Spike. I get it. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, David is like the vampire. He's proto Spike. <laughs> yes. I get that. I am excited. I'm a little um, encouraged by the fact that Rob Thomas's name is attached to the show, even though it's on the CW, because I also love my Veronica Mars. I love my Matchbox 20 as well. Uh, oh, wait. Wrong, wrong Rob, Rob Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> but the other head writer um, is Heather Mitchell of Scandal and Grey's Anatomy, which I've honestly never watched either show, but she knows what she's doing, obviously. So it can't be a bad thing that her name is on it. She knows how to run a show. (laughs) A successful show. However, being on the CW gives it a 50-50 shot for me, especially considering that the director of the pilot uh, Catherine Hardwick also directed Twilight. And that's not exactly the kind of vampire that I want with my Lost Boys. No, but she could also be making amends for having directed it. And you One had, can only hope. And here's the thing. What I like is when you bring in a film director to do your pilot, it mm-hmm. does bring a bit of like they'll suck everything out of the TV, you know, budget that they can. Mm-hmm. Being in film, they're they're able to use all the tools they have available for them for TV. Okay. And that usually makes for a pretty good pilot. And it does seem, I, I don't know how many episodes are confirmed for the this first season, but it almost sounded like it was going to be a limited run kind of thing. Like it's not going to be something that they're going to try and draw out, which seems kind of silly considering that they could easily, if they do it right, this could come in and replace Supernatural, which is now on its last season. It will. Next season's its last season. Okay, that's going to be 15. Yes. Okay. So I'll that's what it. I got. I'll watch a modern vampire thing. I'll I'll give it a try. Yeah, we have to give it a shot. So what do you want to talk about next, babe? Well, why don't we talk about the movie we just watched? Yeah. Yeah. So following up to our uh, news from last week, we just watched Guava Island. Actually, I watched it last night and it was so good that I just had Mike watch it right before we started recording because I loved it so much and I wanted to be able to talk about it without spoiling <laughs> him. So I would love to hear your first impression since I've now seen it twice. I told her save it for the cast. She asked me right away. <laughs> I, I, I respect you guys too much. I really liked it. It was really good. I don't know if I liked it as much as you liked it, but I very much liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked the... Which I wasn't expecting because remember, I saw the trailer and just the same way you did, yeah. recorded off of somebody's phone, recording it off of what looked like someone's bootleg to begin a with. screen, yeah. So I was pleasantly surprised when it began and it was in a four by three aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. With that kind of grainy feel. With the grainy feel and the old school logos up on the screen mm-hmm. and it looked like a VHS tape and the beginning title sequence was a cartoon. Yep. But a cartoon done as if it were one of the comedy movies of the early um, 90s, late 80s. Okay, see, for me, it kind of reminded me of that, like, there's a a Disney short that had a very similar animation style, I feel like, where it's like very carefully cut construction paper almost that's been like watercolored to give it more depth. I I really like that style. That's No, absolutely. There's like Disney stuff that has that. Um, But I think... Mm -hmm. Using your title as like a cartoon like that is something that a lot of people don't do now, but they did yeah. a lot back then, especially for comedy. True, true. So off the top of my head, I can only think of Christmas Vacation, but I know there's others. 
So I really enjoyed that. And the I, way they used it to tell the origin story. It was of a the little, island. yeah, Moana-y, I guess. <laughs> the oh. kind of island feel like here's the history of our island. Uh, I enjoyed that the island wasn't wasn't real. It wasn't trying to be Cuba. It wasn't trying yeah. to be the Dominican Republic. It wasn't trying to be uh, any of the islands in the Bahamas. It was trying to be its own thing. And the yeah. people spoke French. They spoke Spanish. They spoke yeah, English. Like, they had British accents. They had Caribbean accents. There's no and they had American accents. place that this might be. It Which just, works it, for the fairy taleness of it. It's not exactly. the real world. You do not exist in reality. Mm-hmm. I liked that it was Michael Jackson-esque. It was mm-hmm. something you don't see anymore. Some people compare online compared it to Purple Rain. Okay, that works too. Yeah, Prince mm-hmm. and Michael Jackson. It's like that kind of short film music video mm-hmm. which it, it really is more film than music video yeah but it, it's essentially they're trying to take everything that donald glover as uh childish, childish gambino. gambino has done before and 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 combine it which more or less works into its own mm-hmm. uh, story and and that's kind of cool and i think there's it some new works. music and some music that was released um last year but they kind of they remixed it to fit that like island Caribbean kind of feel. Right. Which works. Um, they don't just. Yeah, it's not the radio the, edit yeah, by any means. They don't just do up a music video, which is a little I'm not going to say better than Thriller because you don't get much better than Thriller. <laughs> but it's it, it ties st- itself into the movie a lot better. It's seamless. Yes. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple more. say I don't like everything about it. For instance, I don't like he's singing all his songs, right? He's his character. Uh, mm-hmm. His character's name is uh, Denny. Denny. He's a musician and he's trying to put on this festival on this island that's run by Red, who owns this big silk mm-hmm. company. So everyone has to work seven days a week um, working at this factory, making silk. They never get a day off. His festival would cause everyone to have to take a day off. So he kind of sings about how life's you know, sings about great things about the island, but also sings about, you know, he puts in This Is America. One, one guy goes, I'm going to go to America where it's better. He sings This Is America. And that's where the first thing time I noticed. I mm. like that sequence. The dancing yeah. is really cool. But okay. it took me out when he stopped singing and he kept singing with his mouth closed. They just played his singing over the voiceover. Over yeah, the, that, the I mean, that did happen a couple of times, but I really like the way that it's not the the music video that we all saw last year. They kind of they reframed it almost. They tweaked it they in took such out a the way stuff that about it's more about the capitalism. Yes. Yeah. And the the oppression of the working class on Guava. So I appreciate that. I like that. Yeah. I just don't like when if you establish something. Mm hmm. And this is this is a big nitpicky thing that I get into with um, <laughs> Mike Field a lot, especially when we're doing Forgotten Cinema, starting May 1st. Plug, plug. If you establish something mm-hmm. and then you all of a sudden go, OK, but no, here. And then you change it up a little bit later. I and I know filmmaking is hard and, and they did something that's incredible and it's great. It just takes me out of it. I just zero in on it. And I'm like, yeah. why? If he's always been singing all his songs and after that moment, he pretty much continues to sing all his songs with mm-hmm. very little exception. <sighs> Why? <laughs> it would have been so easy to simplify some of the dance moves he does in that sequence to keep him singing. It's all voiceover okay. anyway. He didn't actually have to exert the energy of actually singing, just lip syncing. Yeah. Just to keep it together. That's true. But That's I'm true. I am nitpicking. It is very well done. Very well made. The <laughs> colors are great. Um, I oh, yeah. really liked. Like it's, it's slightly desaturated, but you still get the feel of like the lushness of the island. Absolutely. It looks like an island. Yeah. And it doesn't like try to fake the sky either, which I appreciate. I hate when they try to fake a blue sky and CG that in. Yeah. Which which helps age it as well. It looks like, Mm -hmm. you know, the outside shots of of natural lighting that you used to get during uh, movies of that time. The sky is white. 
it's hot. It's humid. You're not going to get blue skies yeah. every day in the Bahamas or the Caribbean or the Dominican. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. It's going to be hazy and cloudy most of the time. And it is in this movie, mm-hmm. but still bright. It's yeah. still nice and still beautiful. I want to go to there. <laughs> Which is part of Denny's whole thing is that they live in paradise. They should be able to enjoy, enjoy paradise. Enjoy it. Exactly. And I also really like Nanso Anazi. Mm-hmm. I'm apologizing if I say his name wrong. He plays Red Cargo. I really like that Really actor. well. He's really good. Um, what else do I know him from? So you've been watching season two of Game of Thrones. Oh, he's the Carpathian that wanted to marry uh, Daenerys. Yep. Oh, OK. He's also in uh, he's British. He was also I don't remember if you remember um, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, the Chris Pine version. Oh, remember yeah. the big guy he tries to kill in the hotel room with the fight sequence that lasts forever it and does. he doesn't want to die. That was him as well. Oh, OK. He's been in a few things. He's on Doctor Who. He was um, Hydroflax in the uh Husbands of River Song episode, or he was the voice of Hydroflex anyway. He's going to be in the upcoming Artemis Fowl. I just, I really like him. I like his personality. He's a big guy. Yeah, but he doesn't necessarily have to play intimidating. Yeah, he he plays the big guy in a very kind of happy, jo- jovial kind of way. Yeah. Even as Red, which I really like because I don't like when... He toes the line between... A guy that you might want to have a beer with and someone, you know, could snap your neck, which is what a leader like uh, like a not a not, that's not what a leader should be. <laughs> no. But when you're playing a bad guy like that, I like that he's he knows he's in power. Yeah. So he doesn't have to play that power with too much anger or too much bravado. Yeah. Or too much of a temper tantrum. He plays it like uh, I know you're going to do what I want. You to do. Yeah. Come on. I already have your respect. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and he was in Rock and Rolla, which isn't the greatest British crime film, mm. but it's got it's got its moments. And he plays Tank in that film. And he's he's pretty good there, too. So I really thought he was stand. he, he kind of stood out for me because I really like that actor. Do you have any other tidbits that you enjoyed about the uh... I don't know about tidbits. I know you wrote down some notes. Oh, I took a lot of notes. <laughs> what, what, what worked as, for you? What did you like about as it? As I am wanted to do. I'm going to do it. This is interesting. This is kind of like a forgotten cinema with you and me. Well, it's not forgotten, but. We don't no, usually get to do this kind new. of like thing. <laughs> so what what did you like about it? What what other things did you really like about it? Well, aside from everything that we already talked about, I really liked some of the camera work, which I'm surprised that you didn't mention, like during the the festival, especially when Kofi, uh, Rihanna's character, gets there. She already knows that basically Denny's in trouble because she knows he's not supposed to be putting this festival on. So she's kind of getting pushed around. The camera jostles around. Um, It keeps going to this, the blue spinning thing. It's very disorienting the way that she would feel as she's walking through that crowd, trying Mm -hmm. to look for the person that she loves. That was really cool. I also really appreciate that they brought back Saturday. um, That song that he, that he played on SNL last year, but never actually released. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like that song as well. Yeah. And I really appreciate all of the the symbolism throughout the film, the colors, um, the reappearance of the bird that was in his uh, that was in Red's office. Mm-hmm. And then you, at the very end, you see all these cages of birds in the hallway. So, you know, that he has little birds everywhere on the island, like the woman in the the manufacturing or the, the sewing plant, rather. Who heard who, something from who somebody. Heard, the island told me. Um, I really like that. Oh, spoiler alert, folks, before we go any further. Yeah. Because I feel like you got right on the cusp. If you haven't watched Guava Island yet, uh, <laughs> stop. Go do it now go and then come back. Amazon Prime. Watch Guava Island. It's only back. 55 minutes. It goes by so fast. We'll wait. <laughs> Are you back? Did you watch it? All right, cool. All right. So 
so Denny dies. Oh. I mean, I feel like they didn't really have a choice but to kill him off because that's the only way that he can accomplish his goal of uniting island. The show was headed that way when, when yeah. the fest, when, when red didn't attend the festival mm-hmm. and it didn't kind of Disney it up where he was, got he got into the music and put on a blue shirt. Yeah. Which I was, didn't know which way it was going to go. That was one of the ways I thought it might go to unite the island between the red and the blue. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, then he's got to die. Yeah. But that also works like using it with the camera work. What I really like, and this was directed by Hiro Murai, mm-hmm. who did um, the This Is America video with um, him, mm-hmm. Don, Danny, uh, Donald Glover. He did <laughs> uh, Atlanta. He's a very good director. The camera work was good. What really I really enjoyed about it mm-hmm. was the sound work. The sound work was yeah. done with, I'm sure, old sound equipment yep. because it sounded just like a movie from the 80s. Things that were far away were not not clear. You weren't turned toward the camera when they spoke. It was clear, but things in the background weren't clear. Yeah. Anybody who was just slightly off screen was a little muted. And I like that. I yeah. like that 80s. That, that that makes it that gives it this grit to me. This mm-hmm. 1980s crime thriller kind that of. That it's not grit, perfectly edited. Which works with the island, which is, yep. is kind of, you know, the factory parts are dirty and then the yeah. streets aren't clean because red is kind of taking sucking the life out of this island. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the crowd, you hear the music, but you also hear the crowd, the noise of the crowd and the bustle. So when she's looking for Denny, Rihanna's mm-hmm. character is looking for Denny. I, uh, Kofi, I think her name was. Yep. You heard the crowd and the crowds muffling her noise. It's, it's disorienting to hear. And the sound really hits. Her but then when me. you see the man with the gun and she cries out to Denny, Everybody everything stops. silences. And it's so powerful, like in that split second before he realizes Oh shit! There's a gun pointed at me. Which let, let me just add, that guy is a sucky shot. Yeah, right. Man, he's <laughs> clearly been aiming his gun for about ten seconds at this point. Yep. Stops. <laughs> then he looks at him straight on on a stage, raised up, <laughs> basically saying, "Shoot me." Target stands there for five more seconds. The guy mm-hmm. fires, misses, misses again, misses like four solid shots. Yeah. So that was my a first little thought problematic, was, but. Dude, you, it's all for the story, man. Yeah, I, I feel like whatever Red paid for that guy, it was too much. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy mask, though. I was expecting him to take his mask off and be the guy who wanted to move to America. Like, that's how he got oh. paid to go to America, which they never revealed. Maybe it was cut, but I really feel like it was going to be him. That I like that idea. Interesting. Yeah, because he never really made amends with Denny after that. No, I mean, he does hang up the phone and doesn't call Red directly. Mm-hmm. So... Maybe that was him making amends. But yeah, you never see him during the funeral scene. Nope. At least not, you know, front and center. Yeah. Just saying. So my my only beef with this is the underuse of Rihanna. I understand that it's a childish Gambino film, but she doesn't sing it all. I mean, don't get me wrong. She she has this very quiet elegance that she plays this character with. Like she did. She expresses everything with her face. And at the funeral scene at the end, she looks like a goddess in that blue silk. But anyway, I'm getting off track. <laughs> I really liked it. Go watch it. That's your one. I'm, that's prob- your only I'm thing, probably huh? going to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably going to watch it again soon. I mean, she was cast at it to do the acting, but her yeah. character doesn't sing because her character it does not sing. Yeah. She's the she's the the yin to uh, Danny Glover's yang. She's. Yeah. She wants to move off. She's not as absorbed by the island as he is. I mean, yeah, maybe, she's ready to leave. Yeah. She, she teaches her kid later on about music and mm-hmm. to love it. But yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it was very good. Very well done. 55 minutes. 
It's really interesting. It's the type of thing that artists don't do very often anymore. And if yeah. they do, it's not done well. And this is done well. And if this is the last thing that he does as Childish Gambino, then hey. Which he has said numerous times that he was That done. he's retiring, yeah. No, the, retiring the Childish the character. Gambino character, yeah. Um, yeah. Or the stage personality. Can rather. he can he release Saturday on Spotify please, first? Please. Please. <laughs> I uh, need it on my Spotify. It's a great summer song. Well, most of his songs are great summer songs. Yeah. But yeah, it was pretty good. Something you don't see every day anymore. And uh, he proves that, you know, he is an Jack incredible artist. Trades. Yeah, in, in all all fields. So, yeah, Guava Island was cool. Watch it. <laughs> all right, moving on. Moving on. What do you want to talk about next? Well, let's talk about something else we both saw. Okay. The return of another series, an old series, about the same age as Star Trek, maybe a little older. I'm talking, of course, about... The Twilight Zone. So, we watched the first episode. Thanks to our <laughs> ongoing CBS All Access subscription. Oops. Well, I would have kept it anyway because season two of Star Trek Discovery was going on while this is going on. Yeah. But yes, I still do have a CBS All Access subscription. I will continue to probably. <laughs> um, I liked it. I was impressed. Yeah. I thought it was really good. Jordan Peele's the executive producer of the show. Mm -hmm. He kind of steps into the role of Rod Serling, who, as most everybody who's into pop culture or television at all will recognize recognizes the creator and showrunner and narrator and host of the twilight zone and writer of many of the episodes oh really oh yeah Rod i didn't Jones. i didn't know he awesome. wrote it. okay uh so jordan peele did not directly write any of the episodes that are out now i believe there are four or five episodes out now or have been announced but he's the showrunner so i guess he calls the shots you know what's good what's bad what should go mm -hmm. and that first episode was really interesting it was really well done i thought me too I like the fact that, I mean, and this is, this is the age of Black Mirror. So yeah. There's a lot of Black Mirror out there, which me and Elise have tried to watch. And it's just. It's really, really good, but you, you have to take it in small doses or else it's just depressing. It's just depressing. Even small doses. <laughs> I'm sorry. I would rather watch your murder shows than watch another episode of Black Mirror. Oh, can we, part. can we? No. Uh, <laughs> you just, you just. Every time you watch Black Mirror, yes, they're interesting and yes, they have something to say, but it's bleak. And what it says is, is nothing good. It doesn't have a yeah, wrap no, up. It doesn't we don't teach have a promising you, future in Black yeah, Mirror. It doesn't teach you a lesson like, hey, if you do this, if you do you this know, make humanity you know, there's better. There's a way to be better. They're not fables. They're warnings. Yeah. About how terrible people and technology is. Um, and yet it doesn't provide a solution either. Right. It doesn't teach you how to be a better person. It just says that this is your fate no matter what. I feel yeah. like that's most Black Mirror episodes. <laughs> and what I like about the Twilight Zone is, is in this world where Black Mirror is so popular, they didn't go that route. Yeah. They still kind of teach you a lesson in it. So the first episode, uh, The Comedian, which was written by Alex Rubens and directed by Owen Harris, is about a struggling comedian named Samir Wasan, and he meets this, I guess, legendary comic that everybody knows about named J.C. Wheeler, played awesomely by uh, Tracy, Tracy Morgan. Morgan, smoking <laughs> this this vape, this, the, one of the big old <laughs> vape uh, sticks. I'm um, puffing on that. Got a big rig. And uh, Samir, who is also awesomely played by Kumail, Kumail yeah. Nanjiani. Uh, and, and basically, Samir asks... J.C. Wheeler for some advice. And J.C. Wheeler says, you want you want some advice? You could be funnier. <laughs> and Samir's his, his stand up is just sucks. It's the worst. Yeah. He tries to get way too political. Can't connect with the audience. Yeah. He's just this one. You bad see him joke. just floundering on stage yeah. during his first performance. Seems like he's only got one joke. Yeah. <laughs> and so J.C. Wheeler says, put yourself out there. Talk about your life. 
let the audience have part of your life. They'll, once they take it, though, it's theirs. Turns dun, out dun, dun. you've entered the Twilight Zone <laughs> because it's real. <laughs> so everything Samir jokes about the audience loves, even if it's not funny. He just starts talking about something that's part of his life. They laugh. Yeah, but he has to say the name. It has to be the someone. name of the thing. Yeah, has to be specific. And then after they laugh, after the set's done, that person he talks is sacrificed about, to person the Twilight thing, Zone. Oh, yeah. Uh, disappears. So it starts off small. His dog named Cat disappears <laughs> and no one knows exists. His, his you his, know, high school girlfriend. Yeah, his living. His living, you know, <laughs> longtime girlfriend. It's like, what are you talking about? I, we never had a dog. And it leads into, okay, this comedian disappeared. This person who wronged me disappears. And he just keeps using it because he wants more and more recognition. Mm-hmm. And desperation gets the better of him. Desperation gets the better of him. But in the end. But he uses it strategically for a while, too, which is the messed up part. You, you, oh yeah, people he, knows he where thinks he's are going. bad people. Yep. But like, who decides now? You're a comedian and you're yeah, judge, you're jury, and executioner, God. which is kind of a lot of comedians when they kind of specifically call out people, mm-hmm. um, which I think is kind of what they're getting at. Okay. But yeah. in okay. the end, a lesson is learned. It's is is. I mean, it's too late for him, but he learns the error of his ways. Yep. And it still ends on a bit of a positive note, I guess. Yeah. Because you know the day is kind of more or less saved, and the cycle kind of continues as J.C. Wheeler. Yep. Takes his next comedian and it's it's done in a way that you you don't leave the episode like, oh, man, that's depressing. Like, yeah, uh, in the end, Sumir gets what's coming to him. But, you know, he does what's right. You're not left with this feeling of I cannot watch the next episode, which is my problem yeah. with Black Mirror is you can't binge it. You can't just keep watching Black Mirror. And if you do good for you, uh, <laughs> either you're a sociopath <laughs> or you're a bat. You're just a, an otherwise like dead inside. And you have like. Oh God, that show is a gut punch every episode. Yeah. But yeah, the episode is great. Samir, um, like I said, played by Kumail Nanjiani is amazing. He's well, a, I really like him. I think he's a great comedian. Oh, yeah. I think the films he's been in are great. I think when he talks on different talk shows and stuff, I really like him. And I feel like he's a great choice because he is a good actor. And he's but he doesn't himself. take you out of he's not so super famous that he takes you out of the episode. Right. He's not Kevin Hart trying to do it. Yeah. I mean, he's. I don't know about not super famous. He's pretty big now. He's a name. Yeah. No one's looking at him going, oh, I don't know. He's a comedian. Everybody knows he's a comedian. But I think that works because a he's not just a comedian. He's also an actor at this point. Yeah. Which they need for something like the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Which you need. Yeah. Because he could play those serious parts, but also knows process of an actor, knows what an actor goes through. Mm -hmm. He's able to emote and talk about why an actor needs to do that, why he's always looking for vindication and validation and all of that. And I feel like it really works. And the way he uses this comedy as a self-defense mechanism mm-hmm. and it's just all absorbing. And I feel like he plays that great. And I really hope they keep doing that. And, and they kind of do Adam Scott's in the episode two, which we have to watch Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, which I guess they're going to take a lot of classic Twilight Zone episodes and put in a spin on it. Oh, OK. So Adam I, Scott's I another Adam Scott's in the next yeah, one. So I really like him. He's a comedic actor, more or less. Uh, he's not a, com- a comedian, but he's a comedic actor. Yeah. In a drama role again. And I feel like. That's an interesting thing to choose. And later on, I know John Cho's in an episode. I know he's done some drama nice. stuff, um, but he's also another fantastic actor. And these people can really play the roles that are set before them really well. So I'm interested in more Twilight Zone. I like Jordan Peele. Although it's tough because Jordan Peele comes out in the suit and does his little narration just like Rod Serling used to yeah. do. But it's still Jordan Peele. And I know he's he's horror guy now. But it's really hard <sighs> not to picture him. <laughs> like when's when's Keegan Michael Key coming out? Yeah. And they talk about like the Twilight Zone, like the the hotel guys coming out going, did you see that? Oh, they're blowing up. Like, come on. 
it, it's tough. I, I keep wanting him to crack a smile. Yeah. But I, I do really like Jordan Peele. The inner nerd in me enjoys the fact that he's like <laughs> everywhere now. Yeah. He's just this big nerd that's like getting his dreams are coming true and he gets to do all the stuff, which I think is awesome. And everything he does is great. I love Get Out. Yeah. Pretty much everything us. he touches now is gold. I love Key and Peele. Uh, I used to watch Mad TV all the time yep. back in the day. And so, you know, the more stuff he does, the better. Absolutely. So I'm glad it's in his hands. So far, so good. We will definitely keep watching. CBS All Access. All right, guys. So looks like we're pretty much done with our beer. So I think that's Getting the end of the episode. Low. So what have we been drinking today? Let's say it one more time. Cereal Spiller. By Tribus Beer Company and, and Counterweight. Counterweight Brewing. It's a collab. <laughs> uh, it's gone now, but keep it on these breweries. They yep. do great things. We look forward to their next experimental brew. That's it for tonight, folks. Clink. Thanks for joining us this week. And if you liked what you heard, subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Open. You should also check out my other podcast, Two Player Bros, a podcast by two brothers who play way too many video games, where my brother Alex and I discuss all things video game related, and Forgotten Cinema with my buddy Mike Field, where we talk about films that, for whatever reason, seem to have been forgotten by most people. We talk about why we remember enjoying them, maybe what caused them to be forgotten in the first place, and whether or not it deserves a second shot. And a special thanks for our theme, composed and performed by Joe Reichert. Till next time, cheers. cheers.